Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Spooktacular people, welcome to this 444th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we are featuring a haunted, I guess you could call it a military base, but it's also a military academy, the military academy, (laughs) West Point. Indeed. Looking forward to it. This was suggested by our listener, Marco Corinigno, and I hope I said that right. Before we get into talking about the history and haunts here, let's welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Darshell, that's a unique name, Pamela, Leslie with an E-Y at the end, Kristen, Spencer, and he has an S in the middle of his name, Julie, Bruce, Ashley, and Destiny. It's your destiny to be in the crew. <laughs> Thank you for joining our Facebook group. And now this moment, Noddity. The moment in oddity was suggested by Michael Rogers. Ever heard of a Krakow shoe? You more than likely have seen them if you've ever looked at period artwork. For nearly 150 years, during the 14th and 15th centuries, plain shoes, more popularly known as Krakow shoes, were worn. These are those long and pointy shoes that seem quite impractical to our modern minds. The points of these shoes usually measure between 4 and 20 inches. Taking a step with 20 inches of extra toe space seems downright dangerous, especially for someone who has trouble walking like me. And keeping that pointy area from flopping around required the wearer to stuff the toe with moss or some other kind of filling. And some people even had to tie a string or silver or gold chain around their knee and attach it to the tip of the shoe to keep from tripping. Who would wear these monstrosities? Well, the rich and famous, of course. These were the elite shoes of their time because the material was expensive, so having extra material revealed a certain status. Longer shoes meant more wealth. These shoes were often elaborately decorated and embossed as well. So eat your heart out, Air Jordans, Jimmy Choo, Louis Vuitton, and Stuart Weitzman. Seriously, though, the thought that a shoe that looks like it should be worn by a clown were a status symbol certainly is odd. Of the dark. 
And now, this month in history. In the month of July, on the 12th in 1957, President Eisenhower became the first U.S. president to fly in a helicopter. It is now commonplace for Americans to see the president hop aboard Marine One, a helicopter, on the south lawn of the White House and fly off to other destinations. But this was not a thing until Eisenhower boarded a Bell H-13J on the south lawn to travel to Camp David in Maryland. Other members of his staff were taken in helicopters that came in rapid succession to the White House. President Eisenhower felt this was a better form of transportation because there was no need for road blockages and got him where he wanted to go faster. He started using the helicopter weekly to fly to either Camp David or his farm north of Gettysburg. This action forever changed transportation for future presidents. Joint Base Andrews is where the Air Force fleet that services the president and his cabinet is kept. The main Marine One is operated by the Marine Helicopter Squadron One, also known as Nighthawks. This helicopter is part of a fleet of large white-topped VH-3D Sea King helicopters. While there are a couple of main helicopters known as Marine One, any helicopter that a president is aboard is referred to as Marine One, just as any plane the U.S. president is aboard is referred to as Air Force One. The U.S. Military Academy, West Point, started out as a Revolutionary War-era fort that was commissioned by General George Washington. This would become the country's first military academy and still is considered the elite military academy in America. Graduates from West Point joined forces in numerous wars to achieve victory, but also fought against each other during the Civil War. Unnatural sightings and unexplained occurrences have led to numerous ghost stories. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of West Point. High places with a broad vantage point have always been important when it comes to war. Forts are generally always built on these key strategic high places. West Point is no different. As the Revolutionary War waged, a spot on the west bank of the Hudson River caught the attention of General George Washington. He knew this was going to be a key strategic position for America. General Washington called on Polish freedom fighter and military engineer Thaddeus Kosciuszko to design Fort Arnold in 1778 for this spot they had dubbed West Point. Thaddeus found himself in America in August of 1776. Kelly, it's a tragic tale of a heartbroken young man. He finds this girl, absolutely falls in love with her, and of course, Daddy doesn't approve. Aww. So this broken-hearted young man was looking for new employment. We're not sure if him coming over here to America was to try to prove something to this man. He is never going to marry the girl, so I don't know. But Thaddeus would quickly make a name for himself in America. He started in Philadelphia becoming friends with none other than Benjamin Franklin, and he built blockades for the Continental Army. He was given the rank of colonel and designed his first fort in 1776, Fort Mercer in New Jersey. 
He arrived at West Point in 1778 and stayed on there until 1780, fortifying the base and areas along the Hudson River. Thomas Jefferson said of the man, As pure a son of liberty as I've ever known, and of that liberty which is to go to all, and not to the few or rich alone. One of Thaddeus's closest friends was a black New Englander named Agrippa Hull, and when he wrote his will with Thomas Jefferson, he requested that his estate be used to free as many slaves as possible, clearly proving that he truly believed in liberty for all. Unfortunately, those wishes were not honored, and the executor who took over the will from an aged Jefferson squandered most of the estate. If anybody should be haunting anything, it should be this guy. Yeah, no kidding. Now back to the design of the fort at West Point. Thaddeus bickered greatly with a French engineer over the design because he wanted fortifications along the Hudson River. But eventually the fort was built and General George Washington even transferred his headquarters to West Point in 1779. The fort was continually fortified and soldiers even extended a 150-ton iron chain across the Hudson to control river traffic. I have never heard of such a thing to try to protect something. (laughs) But can you imagine? It's kind of like when you see them put, I guess, tire flatteners out when the police put those out and they're trying to catch somebody. Yeah, spike strips. Or like when you put something up to try to clothesline somebody. But to put a chain all the way across the Hudson River? Yikes. Fort Arnold was never captured by the British. That was no small feat because as part of Benedict Arnold's treasonous acts, he had shared the designs of Fort Arnold and was planning to give it over to the British. And yes, the fort had been named for him. After the treason, the name was changed to Fort Clinton. After the war, the fort fell into disrepair and was mostly demolished to help expand the United States Military Academy. The United States Military Academy was established by Congress on March 16, 1802, and President Jefferson signed it into law. The institution was founded so that America could educate her own engineers and artillerists. Apparently, everybody we'd been using were coming over from Europe, so we're like, we want to have our own people now. Jonathan Williams was appointed as the first superintendent. He had been the chief of engineers of the Army Corps of Engineers. Fittingly, it opened on July 4th, 1802. Think they picked that date on purpose, Kelly? One would imagine. In 1817, Colonel Sylvanus Thayer became superintendent, and he stayed on in that role until 1833. He is known as the father of the military academy, and a monument on the campus is dedicated to him. The reason for him being dubbed that is all the upgrades he added to the academy. He emphasized honorable conduct, instilled more military discipline, and upgraded the academic standards. In 1830, Sergeant Major Edgar Allan Poe was appointed to West Point, which was secured by his wealthy guardian, John Allen. Poe did well with the higher academic standards, but the discipline and long marches were a bit much for him. He quit his classes and was court-martialed and formally dismissed, on March 16th, 1831. And he became absolutely nothing after that. (laughs) The civil engineering program at West Point was so strong that many USMA graduates were tapped to design and build many of America's railway lines, bridges, and roads in the early part of the 19th century. The only way to gain a commission to general in the Army was to graduate from West Point. That was until the Mexican-American War, where battle experience led to promotions the Civil War would highlight the amount of generals that passed through the academy. On the Union side, 294 graduates served as general officers. And on the Confederate side, there was 151 West Point graduates that served as generals. There was a West Point graduate commanding at least one of the sides in all 60 of the major battles. The Civil War also highlighted the divide of the country at the time that not only separated families, but classmates took separate sides. 
When the war was over, young men coveted appointments to the academy because of the prestige it gained from the Civil War. Former Confederates weren't allowed to enter the academy until 1868. The curriculum developed beyond civil engineering after the war. The first black cadet was admitted in 1870, but he would not graduate and was dismissed for grades. But because of harsh treatment he received while attending, the dismissal is considered controversial. This young man was James Webster Smith of South Carolina. The first black cadet to graduate would be Henry O. Flipper of Georgia, and he did that in 1877. The chief engineer of the Panama Canal graduated from West Point in 1880. Hazing is an issue at most institutions of higher learning, and West Point is no different. It's said to no longer be an issue, but after the Civil War, hazing became a real thing at the academy, and it was harsh. Way beyond pranks. The death of cadet Oscar L. Booz in December of 1900, after a hazing incident, led to congressional hearings. The Sacred Heart Review, December 15, 1900, reads, West Point hazing to be investigated. A resolution has been adopted in the House of Representatives at Washington for the appointment of a special committee of five members to investigate the death of Oscar L. Booz of Bristol, Pennsylvania, who died recently. It is alleged as a result of hazing received while a cadet at West Point. This course was taken over the head of a military committee, which reported in favor of allowing the War Department to conduct the inquiry. The presentation of the resolution and the readings of the reports of the Secretary of War and Colonel Mill aroused great interest in the House. Mr. Driggs of New York declared that the practice of infamously hazing plebes at West Point was notorious. He cited the case of Whitaker, who was hazed in 1880 and whose case led to a congressional investigation. Mr. Driggs declared that he would be in favor of abolishing the academy if these brutal practices could not be stopped. Mr. Wagner of Pennsylvania, who appointed Cadet Booz, spoke in favor of a congressional investigation. This Mr. Driggs of New York wasn't fooling around. He's like, if I find out there's this hazing going on, we should just close the most prestigious military academy in the country. Well, I don't necessarily disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Booz died two years after his hazing, and his parents claimed it was from injuries he had received while being hazed. The San Francisco Call reported, It is alleged by the young man's father that Tabasco sauce was poured down his son's throat while the cadets were hazing him. The father also claims that red pepper was thrown in his eyes, hot grease poured on his bare feet, a tooth knocked out, and that other fiendish methods were indulged in. Shortly after this, the father said Oscar, because of his physical condition, was compelled to resign his cadetship. The young man grew steadily worse, but never would divulge the names of the cadets who mistreated him. His parents told him it was his duty to tell, but his only answer was, I went there expecting to take whatever medicine was given, and it would not be right to complain against the other boys. The investigation found that his death wasn't caused by hazing. Douglas MacArthur was a witness, and he would later serve as superintendent of the academy and make efforts to stop the hazing, but they would continue until later into the 20th century. MacArthur would diversify the curriculum and increase the standards of the athletic programs and physical fitness of cadets during his tenure. He also helped create the Cadet Honor Committee, which I think probably had something to do with getting rid of the hazing as well. But can you imagine? Because when I first was reading this, I was like, well, he died two years after the hazing. How can you blame it on that? But I don't know. It sounds like these injuries were pretty bad. He probably got to the point where he couldn't swallow anymore, especially back then. In 1933, the Academy started offering Bachelor of Science degrees. West Point would turn out many leaders for World War II. Not only MacArthur, but Patton... Wainwright, Bradley, Clark, Stilwell, and Eisenhower. 500 graduates of West Point died in the war. 
Maxwell Taylor became superintendent in 1945, and he decided the academy needed to get more updated, and he abolished classes in horsemanship and fencing. The class of 1950 graduated only two weeks prior to the outbreak of the Korean War. These graduates would suffer some of the heaviest casualties of any 20th century class. The first woman would join the faculty in 1968. The Vietnam War has West Point granting its first honorable discharge in 1971, and this was a cadet who applied for conscientious objector status. 333 graduates from West Point died in the Vietnam War. Enrollment wasn't open to women until 1976. 62 women graduated in the class of 1980. One of the women graduates of West Point happens to be my second cousin, Donna Everson. So she's my mom's cousin. Which is so cool. I think it's way cool. She graduated in 1985, and I remember thinking how cool that was when I was a kid. I would have just started high school at that time. (laughs) I was graduating elementary school. (laughs) And I remember then she got stationed at Fort Carson, which is in Colorado Springs, Colorado. So she'd come up and see us all the time. And I just remember being mesmerized by this woman who, you know, had all this high ranking in the military and she'd show us pictures from West Point. And I didn't know when it opened for women to attend there. And she literally is about uh, nine years from when it they first said women could go there. That is so awesome. Yeah. So I'm very, very proud of her. The curriculum at West Point is ever-evolving, and cadets can major in more than a dozen fields from sciences to humanities. The campus has grown throughout the years, even more so after 1964 when President Johnson signed legislation, increasing the strength of the Corps of Cadets from 2,529 to 4,417. Today, that number sits around 4,000 cadets, and the grounds expand over nearly 16,000 acres. The majority of the academy has been declared a National Historic Landmark. Many areas of the campus are gorgeous and overlook the Hudson River. Charles Dickens visited in 1841 and wrote, It could not stand on more appropriate ground, and any ground more beautiful can hardly be. Most of the architecture is neo-Gothic and built from granite of gray and black hues. Older private residences feature the federal, Georgian, and English Tudor styles. The old cadet chapel is neoclassical. There are numerous monuments and statues on the grounds, and even a cemetery, Kelly. Yay! Oh boy! And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. Kelly, we've been hearing from so many of our listeners how much fun they're having with Best Fiends and letting us know, like, what level they're on. They're having as much fun as we are. I agree. Yeah, I love hearing from them. Okay, I'm only on level 763. Where are you at? <laughs> 1,045. <laughs> I keep trying to catch you, but I just can't do it. But I tell you what I have been able to do. I've been getting some great outfits for my little fiends and beating a ton of slugs. And that's what this game is all about. It is about taking your cute little fiends, which are these little bugs and different kinds of insects and things like that. I mean, we're talking frogs, tarantulas, mosquitoes, beetles, flower mantises. (laughs) I mean, it's just amazing. They have so many varieties. And then they go after these horribly ugly slugs. Yes, they do. This is one of those match three puzzle games. It's free to download. And the casual gameplay fits perfectly into your life. I mean, you might be standing at the grocery store waiting to check out. You could play a quick game. I like to do it when I'm on my lunch between cleaning houses. And then, of course, once I get done doing all the research for the podcast in the evenings, I like to be like, okay, my brain is fried. I'm just going to sit down and play for a little while. I deserve it. 
Yep. It's a wonderful reward. I love it. Kelly, everybody deserves a little bit of fun time. So what you all need to do now is add free time to your to-do list. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download Best Fiends for free. Do it right now. Plus, you can earn even more with $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5, which you will do very quickly. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. The West Point Cemetery is the final resting place of 18 Medal of Honor recipients. It's also the burial place for Winfield Scott, Earl Blayick, General William Westmoreland, George Armstrong Custer, and Egbert Viel, chief engineer of Brooklyn's Prospect Park. Revolutionary War heroine Margaret Corbin is also here. She had married a man named John Corbin, and when he enlisted in the 1st Company of Pennsylvania Artillery during the American Revolution, she joined him and historians claim she was a paid enlisted soldier. The Americans were facing an attack by the Hessians in November of 1776 at Fort Washington in New York, and John was manning a gun on the ridge. He was killed, and Margaret immediately jumped up to the gun and continued firing until she was downed by grapeshot wounds. She eventually made her way to Philadelphia, where she came to the attention of the Executive Council, and they granted her temporary relief as she was left disabled by her wounds. The Continental Congress later granted her a lifetime soldier's half-pay pension, and she moved to Westchester County in New York and lived there until her death in 1800. You want to know more about those grape shot wounds? I do. All right, let's go down that rabbit hole. After you. Hello? Hello? Yes, I'm down here in the rabbit hole, and I've brought you with me. In his Civil War Medicine book, which was written in 2002, Alfred Bollet points out that it's highly likely that artillery munitions, shells, grape shot, and canister accounted for a high percentage of fatal wounds on the battlefield. And so grape shot were ammunition consisting of a number of small iron balls fired together from a cannon. I mean, this was sounds like some pretty major wounds that she would have had. Yeah, it sounds like a more intense version of buckshot or something. And the fact that they are included in what the high percentage of fatal wounds would have come from. Yeah, Kelly, you said earlier that she was a bad bleep. (laughs) And yeah, she sure was. And Kelly, since we were just talking about cannons, I came up with an ingenious way for us to get out of this rabbit hole. You have a strange look on your face. What might it be? You know, we love circuses. Right. Have you ever been shot out of a cannon before? Uh, after you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. Guided tours are offered of the Academy. There's a visitor center just outside the Thayer Gate in the village of Highland Falls. There's also a West Point Museum adjacent to the visitor center. This had formerly been Olmsted Hall, and this is the oldest military museum in the country. Items on display include George Washington's pistols, Napoleon's sword, a dagger carried by Herman Goring when he was captured, a revolver that belonged to Goring, and a silver-plated party book signed by Charles Lindbergh, Herbert Hoover, and Mussolini, among others. And there's also a gold-plated pistol that once belonged to Adolf Hitler. And then there are the ghosts. Haunting tales are very much a part of the history of West Point. Dogs staying in officers' quarters have barked at things unseen. A member of a night-cleaning crew was in Building 606 when he was thrown by a malevolent spirit. He was so frightened that he quit his job. The Army's website has even documented some of these cases, giving the stories a level of credence. 
One of the first haunted areas we're going to start with is Quarters 100. Several investigators and demonologists were called in to study the superintendent's house known as Quarters 100. Lorraine Morin was one of those people, and the West Point Association of Graduates website even features a picture of Warren with the then-superintendent, General Knowlton. Knowlton had Lorraine walk through and give her psychic impressions, and then he took the information to the librarian to see if any of the history matched up with her impressions. The librarian was eager for the challenge, but Warren's descriptions were not a part of the regular archives and would require an extensive search of written memories from past superintendents, and those were hard to come by, so the librarian was unable to verify most of the details. An archivist was able to find information on one of the ghosts later. People generally claim that there are two spirits here. There is supposedly the spirit of an Irish maid who has been seen kneading bread in the basement kitchen. Lorraine picked up on this spirit and said of her, She's not old, very domineering, athletically inclined, and really not quite a lady. I get a feeling of no man. If she had a husband, he was dominated while at home. And that is the impression most people get of Molly. And that's the name they've given her. She's a mischievous ghost. Sergeant First Class Andre Rush told the Times-Herald Record in 2008 that Molly likes to mess up the bed. And he pointed to a bed in the basement that always looks slept in and said, she still wants to be noticed. She digs me. (laughs) I don't know how he knows that, but the rumpled linens is one of her trademarks. She also likes to knock over wine bottles. Warren picked up on another ghost whom she felt was a black man named Greer, who was tall and slender and wearing a gray uniform. She said he was an orderly to a superintendent and had apparently murdered someone and was stuck here because of guilt and sorrow. He regularly moved objects around the house, and Knowlton experienced that phenomenon often in the house. A guest at the house even had an experience with finding an object that had been moved. This was the former superintendent of the Coast Guard Academy. He and his wife stayed overnight at quarter 100, and when they awoke one morning, they found a wallet that belonged to someone else staying at the house in the bed between them. Chief of USMA Archives Stanley Tozeski thought Greer could possibly be Lawrence Greer, a Buffalo soldier who turned out to be a criminal. He said of Greer that he was General Prisoner Lawrence Greer, was definitely black, formerly a private in Troop C, 9th Cavalry. He escaped from confinement at Fort Leavenworth in June of 1931 and was apprehended the following April near Albany, New York. He was brought to West Point and court-martialed for his escape and subsequent desertion. Found guilty, he was sentenced to two and a half years of hard labor. However, the sentence was disapproved by command of Major General Connor because the prisoner was judged insane at the time of his trial. We have no record of what happened to Private Greer after these events. Yeah, so I don't know if this is the ghost that she was picking up on. I don't know why he would be sticking around there because we don't have any record of that he died or anything like that. So, But he does seem to match up. And with Lorraine, I go back and forth whether she had some psychic abilities or not. So maybe she did pick up on this and it was really the real deal. I just think it's very interesting that the superintendent's house is one of them that's haunted because usually these guys are not going to want to talk about this stuff. That's true. The fact that he's bringing in psychics and demonologists and stuff to look over the place back in the 70s, pretty interesting. Yeah, it lends credence to the fact that they probably had a lot of stuff happening. Next, we have room 4714. One of the most well-known ghost stories occurred in this room. It's in the North Barracks 47th Division, and this happened in October of 1972. 
five members of company G3 documented their experiences in a report. Jim O'Connor was taking a shower on October 20th, 1972. His bathrobe that he hung on the wall started swinging like a pendulum. His water turned ice cold at the same time. The robe then stopped swinging, so he thought maybe a breeze had blown it. He turned up the heat on the water, and the bathrobe started swinging again. The water turned blazing hot, and O'Connor jumped out of the shower. He decided to give up for the night. O'Connor's roommate, Cadet Victor, was using the restroom the following evening, and before he could push down the handle of the toilet, it flushed itself. The toilet paper roll then began unfurling. He ran to get O'Connor, and when the men returned, they found half the toilet paper roll unrolled. Things ramped up the following night when O'Connor noticed a figure sitting on the toilet seat when he'd finished using it. Oh, my now, word. What really freaks me out about that is, did you stand up and turn around to flush it, and then there's somebody sitting there, so were you sitting in his <laughs> lap while you were doing lap. your thing? I don't know. Or was he sitting in your lap? Excuse me, can you pass some paper? <laughs> Kelly, clearly it can get its own paper. It was unfurling the toilet paper the night before. <laughs> this is true. The figure was about 5'6". I don't know how he knows since it was sitting down, but... And dressed in a worn, full-dress gray coat, and he was holding an old musket in his right hand. The eyes were the freakiest part. They were just white. The ghost stood up and faded. So he's sitting on the toilet holding a musket. I don't know. <laughs> Very interesting, to be sure. The following night, the two men were sound asleep in room 4714 when they were awakened at 2 a.m. A ghostly soldier had manifested and was floating near the radiator, five feet off the floor. The spirit stuck around for about a minute and then disappeared. On October 30th, the apparition appeared again, coming out of the wall above Victor's bed. The figure walked around Victor's section of the room, then disappeared and reappeared in O'Connor's section of the room. The room got icy cold and the ghost faded again. This experience lasted nearly 10 minutes. The men finally reported their experiences to the CEO and the platoon leader. Both these men decided to sleep in the room to see if they could get to the bottom of what was going on here. Now, I love this because you would think a CEO and a platoon leader would be like, what are you guys talking about? Stop with that. Move along. Pulling our leg. <laughs> Around 1.30 a.m., the room got very cold and platoon leader Terry Meehan saw an image on the ceiling. He wrote of the event, It was not as if I had been staring at the ceiling for a long time trying to see something. I just looked up, and there it was, in a three-quarter profile of the head and neck. I could see one eye blurrily. Its mouth and nose were black, as if someone was shining a flashlight under its chin. It was very cold. This lasted for about two minutes. I called the CEO, and he too noticed that it was cold. We then went to sleep and the next morning climbed to see if it were a spot, a water stain, or a footprint, but found nothing. I know it was not a shadow from the window. The windows and doors had been closed, and the heater turned on. We had been sweating before the occurrence, in fact. And like I always like to say about these people who say, I saw something, and then I rolled over and went to sleep. I'm like, how do these people go back to sleep? <laughs> I know. The assistant brigade adjutant, John Feely, slept in the room the following night with O'Connor. Feely claimed the room became very cold after 2.30 a.m. and that it felt like something was sitting on his chest. He then saw a figure manifest wearing a coat with a high collar and said that this looked like an older man, not a cadet. The figure wore a tall hat. Feely said, I did not notice anything besides its lack of eyes. Rather than eyes, it had two white spots. I tried to sit up in bed twice, but could not. I made the effort to scream, but the sound was cut off in the middle of my throat. So it's kind of like a sleep paralysis thing. And maybe the hat man. <laughs> yeah, and what's interesting is he, too, is seeing just these white spots instead of eyes. 
He must have made some sound because O'Connor claimed that he heard Feely yell and ran over and saw the figure just as it was going back into the wall. The spot on the wall where it disappeared was very cold. Other cadets tried staying in the room and claimed to have similar experiences. They even documented the temperature changes with equipment. The psychic Jean Dixon was best known for predicting the assassination of John F. Kennedy. She visited room 4714, and when she started doing a cleansing, eyewitnesses claimed she was lifted off of the floor and thrown from the room. I was like, God, I just thought Jean Dixon kind of did horoscopes. Wow. (laughs) I was like, wow, I didn't know she'd gotten thrown around once. She immediately left the campus and never returned. Some people thought the spirit was that of a man who died when his house burned down on a site adjacent to the 47th Division, while others blamed a seance conducted by the Warrens at Quarters 100. So did they bring something in that traveled over there? Very well could have been. The building is now named Scott Barracks, and the room is now a study area with no reported activity. So they don't let anybody sleep in there now, and maybe that's why they don't get activity. I don't know. Could be. And finally, we have Quarters 107B. This is a home overlooking the Hudson River on Professor's Row. The spirit that hangs out here is known as the Lady. A professor moved into the home in the 1920s with his young wife. She became ill with a fatal disease that took its time taking her. Her mother came to live with the couple to help out with chores and to tend to her sick daughter. Apparently, the professor and mother were much closer in age and an attraction grew into love. Uh-oh. Yeah. The young wife was devastated when she heard of the affair, and some say her death was quickened by a broken heart. Before she died, she made her husband promise that he would not marry her mother. He broke that promise shortly after her death and married the mother. So this young wife returned from the afterlife with a vengeance. She made horrendous sounds described like big wheels rolling along the upstairs floor, and she threw items. Other items were turned upside down and a broken clock gonged back to life. The bedroom she died in was her favorite haunt, and for a time the room was sealed off because people were too scared to go inside. It was reopened in the 1950s. A family lived here in the 1970s, and an eight-year-old and her sister slept in this room. There were many times that the little girl awakened her parents at night because they heard her talking to someone. The first time it happened, the parents went to her room to see who she was talking to and saw that there was no one there that they could see. Her parents asked who she was talking to, and the girl answered, The Lady. And that became her permanent nickname. So whenever people are talking about the ghost here at Quarters 107B, they say the ghost is the lady. There are many haunted military bases, but West Point is probably the most prestigious. Having many members of the military sharing similar experiences really gives the stories a tinge of truth, particularly since many of them have been higher ranked. Is West Point haunted? That That is for you to decide. Oh, I want to thank Marco for suggesting that. Another one of these haunted military bases. There's a lot of them that are haunted. Of course, because most of them start off as forts. And so you got all the stuff that goes on there with that. Love to have you guys check out our website at historyghostbump.com. If you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. We did hear back from Shelly, who's up in Canada. You know, we'd asked everybody, what would they want for their last ride? Yes, indeed. And she said the horse-drawn carriage that's outside of the haunted mansion. I think that's an excellent choice. It sounds like a brilliant (laughs) idea to me, especially because it has a ghost horse pulling it. Exactly. (laughs) So perfect. Hope you guys got to check out our Paranormal Conversations number 11. We were joined by the Ghoul Guide over on Instagram. We talked about several haunted locations, and she's got a great Instagram for you guys to check out. 
You can either listen here in our feed to the audio or we have the video up over at YouTube. Emily wrote us and she said she's been listening to the podcast for a few years. And of course, it's one of her favorites. Thank you. She's from Kentucky, but she lived in Pennsylvania for eight years in her husband's hometown. And he's from a town that's about 45 minutes from Gettysburg. So she was able to visit there a few times while living there. They decided to swing by Gettysburg again on their way back from vacationing in Delaware and do a ghost tour. And Cedric was their tour guide. Awesome. I love that. So cool. And she said, you're right. He is wonderful. We're hoping to catch up with him here in August. We're going to be going up that way. We will be posting the places that we're going to be stopping on our road trip that's coming up here at the beginning of August in the Spooktacular Crew. If you guys are in the area, please message us and maybe we'll be able to meet up with you to do something or say hi or what have you. Yeah, definitely. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. You can find History Goes Bump on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Google Play, and anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Graduates from I didn't know they called their graduates. I was getting a wascally wabbit kind of thing that was going on. I was like, is that a rank? I had never heard of that one before. Unnatural sightings and unnatural sightings and unexplained occurrences have led to numerous goose goose story. I have to say, goose stories can be pretty terrifying because. Have you ever had a goose after you when they're angry? (laughs) They can be quite aggressive. Yeah, and they bite hard. I mean, I haven't been bitten by one, but I can imagine. Can't be fun. Flatty. Flatty. (laughs) Flattius. Hey, Flattius, how you doing? Is that Roman, Greek? Not sure. In 1830, Sergeant Major Edward. Edward. I'm sorry, Edgar. (laughs) Poor Edgar Allan Poe. I just called him Edward. We're having hard times with names today. I guess. That was until the Mexican... The curriculum at West Point is ever-evolving, and cadets can major in more than a dozen fields, from sciences to humanity. Humanities? Humanities. Humanities. Is that like a manatee, but I with was an just owl thinking. cross with it or something? Yeah. Humanities. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's a cryptid. It's an owl and a manatee mixed together. I never knew that those could have feathers on them, those big fat manatees swimming through the I mean, water. we have skunk apes here, so why couldn't we have humanities? This is true. <laughs> Oh my gosh, we started something new. Okay, we have a lot of graphic designers out there. Somebody. (laughs) We had somebody come up with a nose picture. Somebody come up with a humanity.
An owl and a manatee cross. <laughs> All right, let's try that again. From science. <laughs> now you're doing, now you're doing the puberty. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just going back to uh, what was that home improvement where you go. <laughs> 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 General William Westermore. 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 That's a really weird name. Where? What country is that? The country of Kelly's mind. <laughs> it's a vast region no one wants desert. to go to. <laughs> it's a desert. <laughs> Around 1.30 a.m., the room got very cold, and platoon leader Terry Meehan... Meehan. <laughs> Sounds like you're Yeehaw. supposed to be... A- yeah. <laughs> <Yeehaw. Yeehaw. Donkey. laughs> 